This episode contains content that may be distressing to some listeners. Please check the show notes for more detailed descriptions and take care of yourself. Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I'm joined by Liz Waterstrot. Hello, Liz. Hi, Sarah. We are both off bike rides, right? Yes, just finished riding my bike. Mm-hmm. I sense that you might have gone further and faster than I did. Well, I was indoors, so I went oh. nowhere. Okay. Nowhere. Okay. Well, I, I beat you on that one. Okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a hard, it was a hard ride. Uh huh. Yeah. No, no, no. I had a, um, I think he was a commuter on a collapsible, a foldable bike with little tiny wheels past me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good feeling. Yeah. You know, cue the um Pee Wee Herman music. It was <laughs> it was very Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> oh my god. So what you been up to? Uh, I'm really stressed out. Mm, yeah, I can hear it in your voice. What's going on? Oh, just uh the transition from grade school to junior high. Oh. And all of these my kids are in so many activities and I'm I'm really stressed out by all of the apps that oh. are associated with these things like a carpool app and then um the the student I don't even know what it's called I don't know if your school district has it but it's like a student app where you get it's all day notifications on assignments that have been created mm-hmm. completed commented on for every single class and this is just with one kid you know in junior mm-hmm. high I can't imagine once they're all in junior high and high school, my watch is going to be buzzing all day. Well, turn off notifications. I mean, how do you keep up with it? That's their job. That's, I mean, okay. Well, so my mom was a teacher, so I have deep respect for what teachers do. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, I really struggle with being this heavily involved in the process. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know but, any other way to say it. <laughs> yeah, that's my feeling exactly that. I mean, my parents didn't know what I was doing at school and I yes. got through it just fine, went yes. to a fine university. <laughs> well, you And you figured it out without anybody uh, holding your hand through the process. And, and that's my concern is that my son will never learn to intrinsically, you know, find a way to do these things. If I'm always there reminding him to do them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we were in school, it, the only way your parents ever knew what was going on is by the report card that sat in your mailbox. Every, yeah, or, yeah, or a phone semester. call if things got really bad. Really bad. Really uh-huh. bad. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it's, it's a transition for sure. Yeah, no, it's funny you mentioned that because yesterday got a robo call saying that my younger daughter, Daphne, was, marked absent in her third period class. And Mm -hmm. Daphne had actually just texted me a couple questions. She obviously was filling out her common app for college while she was at school. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So, so get mad about that. Not get mad. I'm not sure which. So I texted her a couple minutes later. I'm like, Daphne, I just got, you know, robocall says you weren't in third period. What's up? She's like, that's where I am right now. And so call the school and usually it's a recording that you, you know, say what's what, but got a human. And I said, oh, she was like, oh, yeah, they just turned it in. They have to, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's been updated. Don't worry about it. It's only at the end of the day if we still have the marked absent that it will show up as an unexcused absence. I said, 
you know, I don't mean to be rude, but what's the consequences of having too many unexcused absences? Like, it's not like she's not going to get into college because of it (laughs) or that. I mean, if they were going to tell me, oh, she can't go to prom if she has too many unexcused absences, then I'll stay on top of it. But if it's just that I'm going to get a report card that says she had seven absences from Spanish class, I'm like, eh, not worried about it. She's got an A and she still can talk (laughs) circles around me in Spanish. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah, it's there's a lot. You know, we had our curriculum night last week and mm. and school has just really it's really changed mm-hmm. they're like well there's no tests in science i'm like what what no tests how do you <laughs> i want to go back to school there's no tests there's just experiments and oh, it's God. just it's different now and and i don't know if it's better or worse but i, I guess time mm-hmm. will tell yeah the whole thing that then you can update you know, if you turn something in and you get a low grade, you can yes. update it, update it, update it because they want you to learn the material. And I'm yes. like, yeah, I get that. But in the real world, there's consequences. You know, you you do the measurements on a bridge, Mr. Engineer, incorrectly, and, you know, it collapses. Yes. And that is that is what's a little strange is that I keep getting these notices that my son has not fully completed the assignment. Like he hasn't finished his thoughts and they keep saying, do it over, turn it in again for a better grade. And, and I'm thinking, how many do-overs? You know, I can understand the first few weeks of school, but then beyond that, I kind of feel like it's on you to, you know, do it right the first time. And if not, like you said, there's a consequence or whatnot. But uh mm-hmm. yeah, they, they sure do set up these kids for success in that sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's hope. So <laughs> so it's interesting that your quote unquote back to school night is called curriculum night. Yes. Ours is open house tonight at my son's high school. And then next week, I'm not sure what it's called at um, Daphne's school, but I'm going to it because his pre-professional dance company performs one dance. I'm like, yes, oh. I'm there front row. <laughs> maybe, maybe third row to get a little better perspective. I don't know. So we, we do have open house, but that's later in the year. And that's oh. where you can bring the kids with you. This was just, mm. you had to, I like, I had to go to the third grade and sit in the third grade class, you know, mm-hmm. in the desk and listen to the teacher. Mm. Uh, and, and by the, the third time around, like for the first grade one, I was late to it. You know, I was that parent. I was like, I'm late. You're lucky I'm here. What are you going to tell me that I don't already know? <laughs> Poor Mason. He just, you know, the third, the third time you just, <laughs> you know how it is. Yes. I am the third child. So I know. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know what we'll get tonight. I, I just kind of like, knowing who the players are in my kid's life. So when they say, I don't know, Miss Takayama is, you know, his Japanese professor that I'm like, okay, got it. I can visualize her Mm -hmm. and I'm good to go. Yeah. And just, I don't know, kind of see the environs because I just look back so fondly on those preschool days when you walked, took the kid in every day, dropped them off, picked them up. And then at our kid's preschool, they got a composition book where every day the teacher wrote, you know, a paragraph about what they did, you know, played at the light table with Gabe and jumped mm-hmm. rope with, you know, Ella at outdoor time or whatever. And so then they go to school and it's like, well, you've been gone for six hours. What have you done all day? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I like that too. The preschool stuff, the little notes and the, the oh. crafts. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. The sweetness of it all. Yeah. <laughs> now you, yeah. Like you said, what'd you do today? Nothing. What'd you learn? Nothing. Who'd you play with? No one. <laughs> 
oh, just wait till high school when it seems like every other day it's letting out early. I'm like, why are you home at one thirty? It's the <laughs> it's the seventh day of school. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, we have a serious topic today, but we're going to keep it hopefully from getting too heavy. We're talking about running safety with Eileen Swanson, a police officer in California. A mom of two, Eileen is a former pro triathlete who competed for Team USA in the Triathlon World Championships in 1999. An Ironman World Championship and Boston Marathon finisher, Eileen also shared her tri-sport passion and know-how as a coach before becoming a police officer. So, Liz, you're the one who suggested today's topic and introduced me to Eileen. So thank you. Thank you so much. And explain what prompted you to text me saying we needed to do an episode like this. Well, I was just seeing it with my own athletes after the incident with the jogger in Memphis. Mm -hmm. I just got the sense that that something had changed or something. We all Mm -hmm. felt something, you know, Mm -hmm. I think. The woman was a, a runner, a mom, a teacher, and so many roles that we all can identify with. And I think what really kind of hit me was one of my athletes is supposed to be doing a race in Memphis in a couple of weeks. Mm. And she called me and she said, I can't do it. I, I just can't go wow. there and do the race. Yeah. And then I have another athlete who lives in Memphis and she couldn't even get out and do her run the next day. Mm. Understandably, you know, this was one of those events that just kind of I think it, it touched all of us and, and made us, you know, take pause of, mm-hmm. okay, what, what's going on here and what do we do with these feelings? So mm-hmm. I just felt like it would be good to talk with a police officer, but one who has a unique perspective of being a mom, being an athlete, you know, gets mm-hmm. it that while there are these safety concerns, there's also this, this great love and draw mm-hmm. of running as well. And so how do we balance the two so it makes mm-hmm. sense? Mm-hmm. So naturally, I thought of Eileen. I used to coach Eileen mm-hmm. back in the early 2010s. Mm-hmm. And I know that she transitioned to a different career as a police officer, which I'm actually curious what prompted mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know, to take that on and sort of like the second half of your life. Yeah. But I just thought she'd be a perfect fit for this. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Liz, you and I will welcome Officer Eileen on the show after this break. Please stay with us. Well, we'd like to welcome Eileen Swanson, police officer, and she's here to tell us today how to be safe when we're running. And why don't we start with Eileen? I know that I know you (laughs) and we've known each other for a long time, but tell us all a little bit about you and your athletic background. Okay. Yeah. So I grew up as a gymnast and a swimmer. I did those throughout my childhood, through high school, and then into college, I did gymnastics. Went to University of Washington as well as UCLA. Loved that sport. Awesome, super challenging, kind of like sport of triathlon. So um, once I was done with gymnastics, there isn't really a life after college with the sport. Um, Your body's pretty shot, pretty beat up. Um, But I couldn't just not do anything. So I had a swimming background. A friend of mine in college said, hey, why don't you jump into some little sprint triathlon with me? I said, sure. So did a little bit of training, like a couple of weeks of training, jumped into this triathlon and I was hooked. And that was, I believe in 1998. <laughs> I'm aging myself. <laughs> yeah. So I jumped into it and was hooked and just loved that sport and wanted to see how far I could get in that sport. So I did a lot of Olympic distance triathlons early on. And then eventually just within a couple of years of doing that, I jumped up into the different longer distances and then I decided I wanted to try to uh, race as a professional triathlete and did that for several years and had a blast, loved it. 
as you know, is super competitive, mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. So most of my life I've spent doing something super active, um, whether it's gymnastics, swimming or triathlons. And after I had kids, I tried to do a couple of triathlons and I think I did one other Ironman after having my first daughter, Mackenzie. And since then I've done maybe one or two other like shorter triathlons and jumped into just running standalone marathons, which I hadn't done previously. And, Mm. um, absolutely love that. Nice. Nice. A little bit about my background. So Eileen, in an article about you and your coaching experience, you said in this kind of a long quote, you said fun to me is sport. How much can you push your body and challenge yourself? It carries over into all aspects of your life, your career, your family. You aren't living a happy, fulfilled life if you aren't happy with the condition of your body. And I just love, love that. So can you expand on that a bit, please? Yes. So I just feel that you need to be active. You need to move your body. From an early, early age, my parents um, instilled in us that you need to be active. You need to pick a sport, stick with that sport. Um, you want to do a sport for life. And that kind of stuck with me. And I think that all of us feel better when we work out, mm-hmm. when, we, when we move our body. You know, there's some people get highs doing other things, but my like high is working out. It's swimming, biking, running, any kind of movement, hiking. And I just feel that once you stay active, you know, you'll feel that high, you'll be happy. It it carries over into all aspects of your life. Mm -hmm. So it's just that joy that you bring. So after a workout, after you walk, after whatever, you move your body, you feel that much better. And whether you're going to sit in a meeting for a couple hours after you have worked out a little, you still have that high. Mm -hmm. So you're still, you're still a more joyful person. Mm -hmm. And then in terms of like pushing your body, I just love that feeling of it's like a, a hurt <laughs> where you're, you're pushing to, you know, pushing to your full ability and trying to hold on and trying to see if you can do something better the next day. And that's just like with work, like you're making some sales calls, you do well, the next day you want to do better. Mm-hmm. Um, and you continue and you grow on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of people are nodding along as you speak right now. Yeah. <laughs> So with all of your sporting background, Eileen, it's no surprise that, you know, you're someone who clearly loves a challenge. And so when I saw, and and you and I are Facebook friends, when I Mm -hmm. saw that you had switched careers from coaching into becoming a police officer, it was not at all surprising to me. I just thought, well, here's a woman who loves a challenge and this is her next great challenge. And Mm -hmm. it's especially interesting to me because, you know, Sarah always calls me her pocket pal because I am so (laughs) small. Sarah, (laughs) Eileen is smaller than I am. Stop. I'm not kidding. So to me, I'm like, wow. I mean, here's this small, but mighty and powerful. And she's not giving herself enough credit for what a phenomenal gymnast she is or, or was. And now she's taking on this career as a police officer. So what prompted that switch, Eileen? So actually a couple of things about five years ago, we had an incident at our house. We had our garage broken into while we were all asleep. That was obviously very violating and upsetting. And our road bikes, our tri bikes were stolen. They basically cleared out our garage while we slept. Mm. So that was very disturbing. And, you know, we called the police and we had such a positive interaction with the police that It was always a calling. It was always something I wanted to do. And I had, I had thought about it for years, but never really went through with it. And that positive experience, like kind of jump started everything for me. But like, I've always been very intrigued with law enforcement in general and 
by having that interaction, I felt, you know, I really want to help my community just as these men and women helped me. I want to be able to keep our community safe. I, I just want to be able to have positive interactions with people and, you know, help them when they're going through issues and when they're in distress. And I felt that that was just like a calling and that was just kind of a sign. And I, at that same exact time, I was going through interviews to um, move into medical device sales. So I'm like, okay, which one comes first? A bunch of people that I met through this interaction said, hey, apply to, you know, Cocoa County Sheriff and see what happens. It usually takes about a year to get hired. And it was really crazy. Within eight weeks, I got hired and they did backgrounds, everything. They they rushed the process because I told them I was completely honest and said, Hey, this is what I really want to do. But I got all this other stuff waiting and whichever one comes first, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm basically going to take. And they're like, no, 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 this is great. You did awesome on the test and the physical agility. There's a, uh, there's like a 200 page test. Mm-hmm. And then there's also like physical agility and physical ability tests. And I did really well on those. And they're like, no, we really want you. And so they made it happen. And just from that moment, I was like, Hey, this is meant to be, I got this job quick, um, went through the police academy, which is absolutely crazy and intense and going through the academy at the age of 43 with 21 to 25 year olds was <laughs> absolutely insane, but I held my own. I, were, I, I killed myself. I held my own. It, it was awesome. Mm. All, right, all right. So what's harder, Iron Man or police academy? <laughs> you know, I have to say there were days through the police academy where that was harder than Iron Man. <laughs> you get sprayed with OC spray, which I'll talk about later, pepper spray. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have to make an arrest while you're, you're you're feeling the effects of that. And then you have to fight someone um, <laughs> all while you're like in intense, like severe pain. And not to mention the day we did it, it was 100 degrees out mm-hmm. and there's no shade. And so that burning on your face was absolutely miserable. And then after that, we had to run some hills um, to clear our lungs is what they said. <laughs> um, and then and then at the end of the day, you go through a room where you get gassed oh. and you basically like all the instructors in there have their gas masks on, but you have to walk through mm-hmm. without your mask on. And I became a, a squad. I was assigned a squad leader, which was awesome too. And I loved. And so I went in first and had to wait for everybody oh. to leave before I went out. And some people were freaking out in there. And I was like, go, 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 go. Cause I'm the one that sold my breath the longest. So it was actually, I would say moments and days during the Academy were harder than Ironman. Sounds just like oh. Kona. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. All right. Well, shifting gears. So Eileen, as an athlete, a mom and a police officer, what were your thoughts when you heard the news about the horribly sad kidnapping and murder mother runner and kindergarten teacher Eliza Fletcher in Memphis earlier this month? Yeah, that was very disturbing, devastating. It was sickening. It, mm-hmm. it was it was horrible. I was upset about it. You know, I felt for her family, for the community too, mm-hmm. for everyone and it was kind of another one of those wake up calls to myself too, which maybe we'll discuss later in this podcast mm-hmm. about just being aware of your surroundings and there's no one to blame for stuff. It's just sometimes you're in this situation and it's tragic, mm-hmm. but it was a kind of a wake up call to, you know, tell my friends and just remind myself, you know, I, I don't run with music, I, I run with nothing because I want to be able to hear everything. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people love to wear their ear pods and everything else, but 
I think it's safer just to be able to hear what's going on around you and not be in some like zone where you're, you know, hundred percent thinking about the music or the podcast or whatever. It was just a wake up call for a lot of us. Yeah. And you've touched upon some of the, you know, strategies that we want to give listeners in a little bit. And that brings us to our next thing here. So we posted on our Another Mother Runner Facebook group telling them that we were going to do this. And we gathered a lot of questions from these women. So let's kind of start just trying to give everyone the lay of the land and start with, in your approximation, what is the ratio of domestic violence calls to stranger attacks and abduction calls that the police get calls for? So domestic violence is high. That's the highest one. And that's what we see. I don't want to say on a daily basis, but in a four day work week, we see several, we get several of those calls. And abductions in my three years, I have not had one. Mm. It's mostly DVs. We call them DVs, domestic violence. And, you know, obviously it's with a significant other of some sort or a family member, but abductions are rare and stranger attacks are also not as common as you think they are. It's mostly somebody, you know, it's someone that has had some kind of relationship or some kind of past, even meeting with that person. So I always thought the same thing. I was like, oh, what about like I'm running on trail and there's some stranger. Yes, that can happen. But most of the time it's somebody that has either known you from something, whether it's getting your car oil changed and they've seen you running. It's, it's someone that has, that knows you. Um, which is even creepier. Uh, mm-hmm. So where would you say most attacks on female runners tend to take place? You know, are we talking about trails, urban areas, suburban neighborhoods, rural areas? Yeah, unfortunately, it's anywhere. It's on the streets, like residential roads. It's kind of everywhere. And I would say like the more rural, the more desolate, the more dangerous it is because you don't have reception and there aren't witnesses or bystanders or anyone that can help you. However, the just the normal streets where people can drive on. And I would say that it's kind of there. I would say the streets more than trails. Like I work East Bay Regional Park District Police and our territory is huge. It covers two major counties in the Bay Area. And the calls that we get of some kind of battery or some kind of attack is usually on the roads and not on the trails. Mm-hmm. So a question we got was, what's a reasonable amount of actions for each of us to take for our own safety? Like, is there anything that's shown data-wise to consistently decrease either crimes of opportunity or intent, like a self-defense class, an alarm, pepper spray, a knife? You know, do we know if any of those things help or does it just depend on like a thousand individual factors based on where we live and run? Yeah, it doesn't hurt to carry pepper spray. Mace has like a little pocket one that you can carry. You can obviously put it in the back of your shorts or you can carry it or you can just run with it in your hand. It's very small. I forget what it's called. It's like a hero pocket one. Mm-hmm. And they make that. It has the intensity that like a bigger a spray can would deliver. I would say like that, it doesn't hurt to carry that. Like in college, I always carried pepper spray because hmm. um, I would walk to classes in the dark and have night classes after practice. And I would always carry something with me. Also, I was talking to a friend that, you know, obviously another officer that said that, you know, if we're trained with um, pistol, put a pistol in a belly band. I have not done that yet, but my friend does do that. She has a pist- a little pistol. If she's tra- she's trained, obviously, mm-hmm. and she carries a little pistol in a belly band and runs with that. 
in terms of using that on someone, it's kind of individual, like you would have to react. It's almost like a practice. Like if, if somebody were to come up on me, can I get this out fast enough to react Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. versus just like, okay, I have it. And I'm just going to go for a run. Like everything is practice. Mm -hmm. You just got to practice with it. And it sounds kind of silly, but there's times where I practice with stuff. Well, we have to practice with stuff, but Mm -hmm. if I think I'm going to go out on a run and it's super early, I'll carry a little pepper spray. Mm-hmm. It's my department issued one, but I carry it just in case, but I'm preparing. I'm like, okay, if somebody comes up on me, it's in my right hand. I'm right hand dominant. This is what I'm going to do. So mm-hmm. a lot of preparation. And I know it stinks but that we have to think that way, but you're preparing. Mm-hmm. You're preparing to fight. And it's kind of how it is right now. And unfortunately, it's a lot about preparation. Um, self-defense classes definitely help a lot. Mm-hmm through the academy, we did a ton of self-defense and I kind of wish I would have known all that earlier because it does make me feel a little more safe when I'm out there on the streets by myself. Um, and obviously, especially on patrol and I'm by myself in these dark areas, I have these techniques I can use if somebody were to come up and try to grab me. Mm-hmm. So self-defense is awesome. Like I highly recommend everyone take even a basic self-defense class. Mm-hmm. So speaking of the streets, the various police departments out there do you feel like mm-hmm. they do anything to keep the streets safe on the early morning or late evenings? Is there anything different they do? Yeah. So we, we have different things. We have patrol priorities, which if say based on a crime that just occurred, we'll have patrol priorities, which means like between the hours of three and six, these certain police officers need to patrol this area. And there's just security checks of the area. So we do do that, but it's usually after something has, a crime has occurred, unfortunately, but we do do patrol priorities. And if you want to call in and say, Hey, there's this area that I think is kind of sketchy, or, you know, I feel like maybe somebody has been watching me call your local agency, police agency and say, can you uh, do a security check of the area during these hours? And you know, they're more than happy to do that. We're more than happy. I love it when people are like, hey, this has been going on. The crime has been happening. Or, you know, I feel like something's wrong. We go out there and we love to do that. We love to keep the community safe. That's our job. And we want to help. Mm-hmm. So that's good to know. So one woman on our page wrote, I think it's common to feel a little trepidatious when stepping out in the dark to run in the early morning. How do you know when to push through that feeling and when to really listen to it. She said she knows it'll differ by situation, but she guesses what she's asking is what type of things should we consider when we are assessing whether a situation will be safe or not? I would say like always listen to your gut. If you go out there and you feel like something's not right, you're probably right. So listen to your gut, listen to those like spidey senses, be smart. And if I go out and feel that, you know, I'm like, you know what, either I'm going to change direction, do a different loop and do something different, but always listen to your gut. So if you feel like, ah, I'm a little nervous today, something doesn't feel right. Listen to yourself. I know we want to get those workouts in. I know like I have this plan today, but if something doesn't feel right, listen to your gut. That's what we tell everyone because usually you're right. If you think about like, oh, I should have done that differently. I should have listened to myself. It's usually because you should have listened to yourself. So We say, keep your head on a swivel. I know it's hard when you're running, but Mm -hmm. just keep your head on a swivel. Like think about like, if you're running and you hear something, look, don't just like try to ignore it. Look around. It's better for you to see it. It's better if there is someone to make eye contact with that person, they are less likely to try to do something. If you make eye contact and see them, Mm -hmm. they're less likely to do something to you. Mm -hmm. 
I like that you say that, you know, listen to your gut, but I like that instead of saying turn around and go back into your house and have a second mm-hmm. cup of coffee, you say go a different route. You know, go, go in the opposite. If you usually right. go counterclockwise, go clockwise, mm-hmm. whatever. Right. So that to not have the opportunity, you know, stolen from you, that you can still get out there and do it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course. Yeah. You know, I never want to deter anyone from going out there and enjoying the beautiful outdoors and whatever they want to do. It's just, if you don't feel like something's right or you're a little nervous, then just go with your gut, change directions. Even if you are running, you're running home and you feel like something's wrong, mm-hmm. change directions. Don't go straight home. Mm-hmm. Like I do that today still. Mm-hmm. So some women admitted they are struggling with running on residential roads versus major thoroughfares, you know, thinking about balancing the risk of being hit by a car or driver compared to being abducted. So do you have any thoughts on that? Is one better than the other? You know, that's hard because I would say thoroughfares are dangerous. Like you're more, obviously you're more likely to have something happen to you on thoroughfare with all the traffic and everything. But yeah, I just run on the residential roads. I know you want the light and you want, you know, the visibility on the thoroughfares, but on just a residential road, it's a little safer in terms of getting hit by a car, traffic and all that. And it's just, again, just be aware of your surroundings, everything. I don't want anyone to think that they can't go out there and enjoy their runs because the crimes that have been occurring. It's just a matter of knowing your surroundings and knowing what's going on around you and just being aware and like I said, if you have to wear your paws or you have to wear headphones, try to keep the music or whatever down low so that you hear what else is going on around you. What about, and you just mentioned headphones and we've talked about pepper spray, just thinking of some other things that might help when women are running in the dark or early morning or late evening. What do you think, should they be wearing a headlamp? You know, we had one woman post a question about running in the dark with a headlamp. And she said it actually makes her more scared because she can't see past the dark and she feels like it draws attention to her out early. And I would think the same thing about reflective gear. I mean, what do you think about, you know, running with reflective gear or headlamp? I mean, it's obviously definitely safer because people can see you. It's, it's safer. It definitely is safer. You know, if somebody's going to see you and want to, you know, do something, commit a crime. It doesn't matter if you're wearing a headlamp or if you're not wearing a headlamp, if they're after you, they're after you. So it's definitely safer because of traffic and other reasons. So I I'd say suggest still wearing it, still wear your safety gear. And yeah, it does draw attention that you're there, but they would rather have somebody that's in the dark actually so that no one actually mm. sees that person. So it's actually better because mm-hmm. people do see you. Mm-hmm. And I would also think that the statistics would bear out that your chances of being hit by a car while running or walking or cycling or whatever is higher than being attacked. Am I right on that? You're yes, you're spot on. 100% yeah. And the, you know, I just think as a person who, you know, drives to strength training class at 6am in the wintertime, I just think about all the people dressed in black clothes, with no lights, nothing reflective mm-hmm. that I've mm-hmm. been you know, me, a runner behind the wheel has, you know, come close to hitting. I just also think that our early morning, you know, the our 5 a.m. run before we have to get to the office is someone else's end of their nighttime. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and they're either super tired because they're coming off a shift, they're you know under the influence of a of a substance. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're 100 percent correct. And there's a lot of us, a lot of police officers that are off our sometimes like 18 hour shifts, and mm-hmm. we're exhausted. And yeah. it's yeah, and it's this is definitely safer to wear gear where mm-hmm. you can be seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about reporting something suspicious. Eileen, you had said earlier that if people see something that the police force appreciates a call to yes. report something and, and some women kind of felt like that they might get brushed off as being overly dramatic, you know, no offense to law enforcement, but that, and also when to call maybe your partner at home or your neighbor or somebody versus an officer of the law. Um, so hundred percent always call, always call 911, always call police. You call a non-emergency number if it is, if it's not urgent or just call 911 and say, it's not an emergency. It's not urgent. Mm-hmm. However, this is going on, but always call police. Um, if you tell a friend, you tell a neighbor, great. But what if something did happen and you didn't report that a crime was about to occur or a crime had occurred? Mm-hmm. So I would say we don't take any of the calls lightly. I don't know anyone at my department. I've been at two different ages. This is my second agency that would take that lightly. We take it seriously. Um, we will go out there. Yes, we are short staffed all across the nation, mm-hmm. um, law enforcement, but we will go, one of us will go out there and do a security check or just, you know, do surveillance, just drive around, just see what's up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and sometimes it's awesome. Like we had a call the other day where someone was like, Hey, there's somebody on this trail and they're kind of weird and they've been following dog walkers. And we went out there and didn't find him, didn't find him, went out the second day and we actually found him and contacted him, talked to him. And he happened to, you know, have some past run-ins with the law and we were able to actually detain him, Mm. take him in. And it was actually awesome. It was a great feeling because we, you know, if somebody didn't report that and didn't say, Hey, I felt weird about this guy. He didn't do anything. He was just following. And it's not against the law for somebody to just be creepy, (laughs) but that person happened to tell us and we contacted him and, you know, he didn't have to give us information, but he did. He told us his name. Mm -hmm. We did all, you know, we ran him out. We did everything and he ended up going in, you know, he had a warrant. So Mm -hmm. um, that was actually awesome. So yes, please, please, please call your local police agency report anything. We don't take things lightly. We would not brush it off. That's good to know. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about a lot of different strategies and pieces of equipment. And so just to simplify it for our listeners, if you had to choose the top three things, every runner who's out there in the dark should never leave home without, and this might be something that makes noise or a light source, or let's just even say like a weapon, like maybe a knife or, or mace, what would you say those top three things would be? So if you're running in the dark, I would definitely say your your reflective gear, like we talked about, mm-hmm. your headlamp, your reflective gear. I would say pepper spray would be my number two. You can use that. And then if you have a pistol and you are trained, then I would say a pistol in a belly band if you are trained. Mm. So those would be my top three. Wow. Wow. So what do you think about those ring knives that a lot of people get ads for them on Instagram, on Facebook, you know, so that it's like a small knife is a little bit of an exaggeration for what it is, you know, kind of a sharp pokey thing that's on the inside of your hand. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a fan of that. Mm, Okay. Yeah, it could be used, but you would have to be super close 
you'd have to have very close contact with that person mm-hmm. versus being able to um to keep your distance. Like you don't want to have that where you're like right on them. You want to have a little distance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the spray goes as far as 10 feet. So just having that distance. I mean, first off, it's rare. Like, mm-hmm. like you said earlier, it's more likely that you would get hit by a car mm-hmm. or a cyclist or something. But if so, you do encounter something, somebody's not going to jump out of a bush. You probably hear or see something before it actually does happen. You mm-hmm. probably see a car or hear a car rolling up on you, mm-hmm. which is why I say like not to wear ear pods if you can help it. And if you can't, and you really, you know, you love that, then keep it at very low volume so that you can hear what's going on around you. But most likely when we've had any kind of battery on a trail or an attack on a trail, it's somebody hearing something behind them, in front of them, to the side of them and knowing something's coming. So mm-hmm. If you have that knife on your finger, you would have to wait till they're super close Mm -hmm. versus being able to pull your spray out and spray them from a distance. 10 feet is the, is the max that you'll get any effect. Mm -hmm. So I'm not a fan of that just because of that. Like 99% of the time you'll know, you'll see something or hear something before it actually happens. And this is why I say like, keep your head on swivel, listen to your surroundings, look at your surroundings, know what's around you. It's also good to know escape routes. Mm -hmm. So if you have a planned run, just know your escape routes. Like, where can I run to? I I play that on my head all the time, whether I'm on duty, off duty, like, where can I go for cover? Where can I go to get help? Mm -hmm. Is it this store? Is it it this neighbor that's usually up at 5 a.m. or at 10 p.m.? whatever time you're running. Mm-hmm. So go out there, enjoy your run, but have a plan in place. The back of your mind, like this is what I'm going to do if something happens. Mm-hmm. I know most people run with, well, a lot of people run with a cell phone. I don't know. I run with a cell phone because it's just to me, that's something I wouldn't leave home without. In case something happens, I could dial 911 really quick. Um, if I witness something, I can dial 911 really quick. Mm-hmm. So that's what I would suggest. Yeah. You talking about having an escape route reminds me of a number of years ago, I was out running with my best running friend, Molly, and there was at the time a lot of several incidents of pantsless man mm-hmm. running around being in the neighborhood. And I've told the story a long time ago on the podcast, but so that, you know, we're out there and we're running, let's say on a road that goes north south and he cuts across on this perpendicular road, you know, it's got no pants on and he doesn't confront us. He's, he's just running and she says to him, you need to put some pants on. And he was so pleased that someone talked to him and, and he was like, Oh, why is that? She was like, because it's wrong that you're out here with pants. And I just, <laughs> I just kicked into like, I have a plan mode. And so I said really loudly, we were about three houses away from a friend of mine's house mm-hmm. who I know her husband, he's a, um, works in the financial industry from home so that he's on New York time. So I know he gets up super early. So I'm like, Molly, that's Krista's house right there. We are going there and calling the police, you know, and I just, and I was like, where did that come from? How did I like kick into that right away? And, you know, and the the police came out right away. And so, yeah. Yeah, no, that's great. That's awesome. I like to hear that, that you were thinking that (laughs) we love to hear that. (laughs) We did. We went up to Krista's house and, you know, knocked on the door and I guess maybe we didn't have cell phones with us. That was it. And so we had her call the police. Like, mm-hmm. I, at the time, you know, because I was running with a friend, I'm like, oh, I don't need my phone. It's not like I'm taking a picture or listening to music while I'm with Molly. So, yeah. 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 That's good to hear. So, Eileen, a lot of women on our Facebook page asked, is it safe 
to run with mace or pepper spray because it can be used against you or used incorrectly? It can be used against you, but it's it's more likely that you will be able to use it before something happens. Like I said, like you'll hear, you'll see, you'll sense something before it actually does happen and you'll be able to react. You'll be able to do something. And if you have the spray, you can spray someone and you just aim for their face, their eyes. And within five seconds, they're pretty much immobilized. Like they can't see. So it's, it's like a good five second window where they can still do something, but they've got like five seconds before it actually sinks in and it hurts really bad. Got it. The chances of you using it versus them using against you is more likely that you would be able to use it. Got it. So what about noise devices? You know, thinking about someone who's out there on a quiet trail or a country road, is there even any point to having a whistle or a noise device? Um, I would say no to that because we wouldn't know other people out on the trail would probably think you're just calling a dog or yeah, point. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, Oh, she's just calling her dog back. So yeah, noise devices. No, mm-hmm. your, your voice and yelling is better than a noise device. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So speaking of dogs, what's the law enforcement thinking on running with a dog? Is it a deterrent? Does it help? What if it's a pit bull type dog or, you know, those dog partners just giving themselves a false mm-hmm. sense of security? Definitely. A dog definitely helps. Obviously not like a little miniature poodle that wouldn't help, but like a bigger dog does help. The attacker does not want to try to fight your dog and you. So it's definitely a deterrent. It's definitely with our, the situation I was talking about, the dog walkers, that was a deterrent for this person. Mm. We realized this guy wanted to get to the women, but he was scared of the dogs. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely a deterrent. But it's just your type of dog too. If you have a lab, it's another thing. Like the lab will probably end up licking the person. Like <laughs> <laughs> labs love everyone. Goldens love everyone. But you know, if you have a dog, yeah, it's definitely something they'll think twice about versus just going straight for, you know, an attack. It's something that they would think twice about for sure. So another woman wrote on our Facebook page, I heard the Oprah advice years ago. Don't let them take you to another location. So do you feel like it's always better to fight? Um, yeah, I would say fight. I would say take that self-defense class, learn a couple skills and go with that one skill that may work. We we're taught in the academy that if there's one, if you could just take one move away from this class, that's awesome. So like a rear wrist lock, you know, rear twist lock, just like a full on body takedown. There's things that you can learn and you be able to use but always, yeah, always fight. And there's sensitive parts that you'd want to hit. The sensitive parts are first are the eyes. The throat is huge. Uh, right behind the ears is a very sensitive part. Nose is sensitive. Groin is very sensitive. So there's parts that you want to you go for the sensitive parts. Obviously, if you get into something like that, you do want to fight. You want to fight. You want to scream. You want to kick. You want to do everything you can to not have them take you if that were the case. So basically just like what they teach us in the academy, you fight for your life and that's mm-hmm. what you do. Um, you don't give up. You just keep fighting until you get help. Mm-hmm. So that, that makes me think, obviously in the moment, you probably just are making noises that you don't even know exist in you until the moment. But is there some, you know, should you yell, I'm being attacked, help? Mm-hmm. Are there some words that are going to, 
I live here in Portland, Oregon, where the houses are very close together. And, you know, when I go running with a friend, I'm probably waking up half the neighborhood because I'm making so much noise just <laughs> chatting. But so is there something specific to say? Yeah, all of the above was great. Help. I'm being attacked. I need help. 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 Yeah. Just anything like that. Just yelling that someone will come out. Hopefully someone will come out if they do hear you. But it's it's just those types of words, like whatever comes out of your mouth, you you need help. That's the first thing that will come out is basically like help and mm-hmm. just screeches and screams as mm-hmm. loud as you can. Mm-hmm. Somebody will come out, hopefully, if, you know, like you said, like in your area, it sounds mm-hmm. like, you know, mm-hmm. homes are closer together and someone would come out and help. But making noise, as much noise as you can is definitely, definitely helps. Mm-hmm. So what if you're out there on the trail or the roads? and you find yourself being followed, what do you do then? I would say, you know, take a different route if you're out there. Also, like, look back, look at that person, look at them in the eyes, kind of, like, show them that you you see them there mm-hmm. and you know what they look like. Mm-hmm. That's That's a big thing. It sounds so strange, and I thought it was weird, too, but it's huge. Like, I worked a year and a half in and out of the jails, And in talking to inmates, you get to know them. Sometimes you have long shifts with them and they're out around you during their free time. We call free time when they get out of their cells. And I've had so many conversations with them and they're like, yeah, if someone looks at us, we're like, no, hell no. Like they, Mm. sorry, they know us. They can describe us to police. They can describe us and we don't want them. It's, it's what they go for is if you're scared to look back, if you're scared to look around Mm. and you don't look at them in the eye, then you know, that's something that is more, it's something that they, they, they rather go after someone that is scared to look at them. But if you are, are out on the trails, I would, you know, and you feel someone is following you, just turn around and look at them. Like mm-hmm. you're not scared. Mm-hmm. Just give them a good look and you're not scared. Maybe call out for a friend, even though a friend's not there. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, say, Hey Ryan, or Hey, whoever, Hey, are you, <laughs> are you back there? And they're like, Oh crap, there's somebody else here. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good so, yeah. yeah. So just pretend you're, you're with numbers or pretend to call your dog. Mm-hmm. You got to just make stuff up. I know it sounds weird, but it's like the criminal mind after talking to them, they don't know. They have no clue if you were telling the truth, if you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're less likely to do something. If they think there's numbers, there's friends around, there's dogs around, they're less likely to do something. That's if you can't change your path too. But mm-hmm. yeah, I, I get it. You're on a trail and it's like one loop, like you can't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, if you feel that you're not sure if that person is like suspicious, you could even like run towards them if they're like far enough away mm-hmm. and call for that friend and then just wait and see what they do. Cause sometimes they'll like turn around and be like, Oh crap, somebody's coming. I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different things, but the biggest thing is just prepare in your head, like prepare. What am I going to do if this happens? Because a lot of us go to stuff and we're super unprepared. And it's something that I feel like we need as, you know, just women, men, everyone, we just need to be prepared. Like what if, what if, and, you know, don't let it take the joy out of your run, but just know you have to be prepared. It's like, it's like anything in life. You just be prepared. Yeah. I mean, before we have athletes go to races, they write a race plan, you know, and here's, mm-hmm. and we have them think through what if this happens? So it's almost like before you go on your run, just have mm-hmm. that safety plan in your head. What are the three things I need to do or think about before I head out there? Yes, exactly. Yeah. So I love this question that we got from our Facebook page. Um, as a bystander, what's the best way to help someone in distress? 
so if you see that something is going on, like you're saying, like if someone's, if something's happening to someone. Mm -hmm. Okay. So remember as many details as possible. Mm -hmm. Remember your exact location, call 911 immediately. Um, Try not to put yourself in harm's way. So you don't know if that person has a weapon. So don't try to get in involved Mm -hmm. because you don't want to be a victim yourself. Mm -hmm. So best plan is remember as many details as possible call 911, remember your exact location. And if you can draw attention away from that person, like towards yourself so that they may stop whatever they're doing, but call for help. If you don't have a phone, yell for help. Um, it's, it's so hard as much as we want to go and, and intervene. We tell people don't, because you don't know if that person has you know, a weapon and you don't know if that person is trained in mixed martial arts and can take both of you. And now you have two victims. Mm -hmm. So the best thing to do is remember as many details as possible and call 911. If you don't have a phone, start yelling out, try to tell that guy you're here too, or that person I'm here too. I see you. I see you. I see everything about, yeah. So Mm -hmm. they're like, Oh, I need to stop. Mm -hmm. So we had another question or comment about wanting to know what to watch out for if there are any patterns that appear within situations that are seen or reported, you know, and and you already touched upon the person kind of out there with the dog walkers, but are there Mm -hmm. any other commonalities to these types of situations? Mm -hmm. Yes, for sure. So if you see a car, an unusual car parked a certain spot, um, you see that person parked there when you go out for your run, and that person doesn't live in the area or you haven't seen that car before the next day or two days later, you go for around the same time, same direction. You see that same car. That person's obviously trying to scope out what's going on, trying to figure out like your routine, your pattern. Mm-hmm. So look out for stuff like that. Or if you see somebody walking, that's not usually in the area that you run in, that's walking at the same time as you're running and then you go out there again and that person's there again. And and you could tell you, you get a, a, like a good inkling of like, Hey, this isn't right. This person looks suspicious. This, is, this doesn't feel right. So usually the person is scoping out your pattern and that's what they do. They're, they're very good at it. Um, they're very good at like having the victim not see them. But if you're aware of your surroundings, you keep your head on a swivel when you're out there, you'll notice things like that. And you may now, after this, you guys may all notice things where you're like, huh, I've never seen that before. Or, you know, there's definitely a pattern where they're just trying to figure out your life and what you do, what's your routine, what's your direction of travel, what time do you go, what time do you end. And if you see a car, if you see a person, definitely report it. And if it's near your home and they, you see something like that, you know, bring your husband, bring your neighbor, whatever, and confront, you could even say, Hey, what's up? Hey, are you, are you working in the area? You could even talk to them. And mm-hmm. if you do that, most likely they're gone. Mm-hmm. Like, nope, they're out of there, but look for stuff like that. And I know we don't like to, and I know I, I used to not want to confront or think that it's, it's like ruining my sense of safety, but it's so important. And after, you know, switching careers, I realized like, wow, there's a lot of times where like I did stupid things and, you know, I should have listened to my gut and I should have, you know, I should have reported something or I should have called something in because you know, that looks sketchy. That didn't look right. So, um, the criminal mind thinks in, uh, 
a lot of them are not very smart and mm-hmm. they kind of just put themselves out there and hope that you don't notice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also a lot of times on substances and Correct. so, so that they're not, Correct. you know, e- even if they, you know, have a PhD, they're not thinking perhaps Correct. as clearly as they might. So I live here in Portland, Oregon, where, you know, crimes of your car getting broken into my bikes have been stolen from our garage several mm-hmm. times, all that stuff. It seems to me like a lot of those people are also scoping out property opportunities. Mm-hmm. You know, the, oh, the garage door that's left open, the, mm-hmm. oh, you know, their teen went in, they probably didn't lock the door. I'll come back here in two hours, whatever. Right. Right. Is that, is that accurate to think that? Yes, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, so that it, I think by going up and, oh, you know, can I help you find something or whatever mm-hmm. that that's more than likely that person's not going to be attacking a runner, but they, they could also be stealing the catalytic converter mm-hmm. from your neighbor's yeah. e-car, oh, you know, hundred percent. So, okay. So we did get a lot of questions about women. Maybe it's, you know, kind of urban legend, but is it dangerous to run with a ponytail? I have short hair, so I don't know anything about this, but you know, that, that, that some women think, Oh, I'll wear it in a bun because they worry that they can be grabbed by their ponytail. Is that again, is that just kind of urban legend or no? Yeah. It's urban legend. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really happen. If somebody's going to grab you, they're going to grab you. They're going to grab your body. They're not going to grab your hair. Mm-hmm. The, the only time I've had someone try to reach for my ponytail is like a woman trying to fight. Like it's the only time. I mean, it's, that's just a, a myth. Yeah. What yeah. about along those same lines? I think someone asked this on our page about what to wear. Mm-hmm. And I know this is, this could get really tricky, but do you think being out there, I mean, I'm, I'm somewhat, everyone knows I'm out there in my shorts and jog bra, mm-hmm. no regrets. Is that a good idea? Not so good idea. Does it not matter? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you wear. So I it just overall, really, like you could go out there for a run, but you just need a plan. Like we said, mm-hmm. that's like, that's it. You just need a plan in place, safety route. If it's the same loop you take, try not to take the same loop, like all the time, try to vary your runs. Mm-hmm. I know it's really hard to vary the times of your runs, So that's hard to say, but if you can, that's good too. And just try not to be that person that has the same exact pattern over and over and over again, yeah. because I mean, it's just, it's hard to say and it's sad to say, but that's what they look for. That's what people look for. It's that same routine, that same pattern, just like you said with property crimes. Mm -hmm. Um, They'll look to see what time you leave, what time you come back. And, you know, sometimes you do it at night, but that opportunity of like a garage left open or, or even knowing your code and seeing your kid punch in the code or something. Mm -hmm. um, I would definitely just vary your routine if you can, as Mm -hmm. much as possible. You know, speaking of not doing the same thing, and you mentioned at the start of this that most of us are victimized by someone we already know. What mm-hmm. What do you think, as a police officer, as a as a runner, as a woman, of posting your data on? And I'm not singling out this particular platform, but something like a Strava, where people who follow you can see your route, the time you were out there. You know, do you think this is a good practice? Is this something we should reconsider? Yeah. So that one's so hard because I, I, I love Strava and I used to use it all the time, but now being in law enforcement, I don't use it at all because of that. Um, but it's, you know, it's different in my situation because people know me out there, unfortunately, and, you know, everything's public knowledge and, you know, they know our names, they know where we live. It's kind of scary, but mm. I try not to post that. I try not to, but that's a hard one. There haven't been like we, I haven't seen any statistics. I haven't seen anything occur based on that, mm. based on just knowing your your data. 
Yeah, that's hard to say just because we don't have any data on like this person actually, you know, attacked someone because they knew their pattern from Garmin. Mm-hmm. I would say it's more likely that they would know your pattern just from watching you okay. versus going online. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there are things you, it was excellent question, Liz, you know, that you can cloak where it shows you start. You know, it's a little mm-hmm. bit like Airbnb, like your Airbnb is going to be in this general vicinity. I'm not very tech savvy. And even I figured out how on Strava to make it be that just, yeah. she kind of starts in this part of Irvington, mm-hmm. you know? And um yeah. So, and then also I think being selective in who you let follow you mm-hmm. on, yeah. on, on social media like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's a huge one too. I just don't just like accept any requests. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard, but mm-hmm. I mean, I, I need to <laughs> weed out some stuff too, but <laughs> like, don't, you don't know who these people are. You don't like, you really don't know. And it's mm-hmm. kind of scary. Yeah. Just try to have it be maybe your family. Also like let somebody know when you're going out, mm-hmm. let them know what time you're going out, where you're going mm-hmm. and what time approximately you'll be back. Mm-hmm. Always let someone know. And if text, leave a note something and mm-hmm. just let people know where you're going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Eileen. This has really been enlightening and I would say comforting or reassuring. So thank you so much for joining us. I know you're coming off a uh, 18 hour day. So, <laughs> so thank, thank you <laughs> thank very you. much. Yes. Thank yeah. you. It's yeah. fun. I love it. Good. Thank you so much. Thanks. Take care. Okay. You too. Sarah, have you ever had an encounter where your gut said, something was up. Hmm. Huh. Just trying to think. I'm. It, it doesn't happen to me here in Portland. I'm trying to think. You know, I was at a trade show in a, a Western city. I don't want to disparage any one city, but it was in a Western city. And I just, I didn't feel good about the people who were on the sidewalks. And so I made plans to, like I said, I was at a trade show. So I made arrangements to go running with somebody who was at the trade show. Yeah. How about you? You know, in all my years of running, only once, and it was a couple mm. of years ago, I run midday on, on trails mm. and I passed a guy on the trails and it was so weird because it was a warm day and he was out there in a black hoodie and it was pulled up over his head and acknowledged him. And I ran a little further and then I turned around and he was gone and there was really nowhere to get off of the trail. So something mm. just said to me, don't turn around. Mm. So I ended up exiting the trail and running down the a state route <laughs> to get to get back to my starting point but uh, that was the only only time i've been uh, very lucky to run everywhere and just around yeah. here it was my only weird time yeah yeah um you know portland's a major metropolitan city and you know there's definitely a fair number of people out there and like i said you know molly and i ran into the pantsless guy at one time but yeah but even, I, I never told my kids about that they were younger yeah. obviously it happened a number of years ago but it just seemed i didn't want them being worried about it but it didn't seem all that worrisome in the moment no um, no yeah yeah we, so, every town has pantsless guy oh yeah we've when, had that I, too I, you know where the guy on the trail is flashing people and yeah, yeah, yeah. The um, it's I talked to a woman who grew up in the neighborhood where it happened. She was like, "Ah, oh, there was always a pantsless guy." It's like, really? That's the world we live in—that there's always a pantsless guy. Like, Ugh. I don't. It's 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 a sad statement on society. Um. Huh, all right. Well, on to 
happier thoughts of us going to one of my favorite major metropolitan areas, the Twin Cities of Minnesota. Dimity and I are going to be at the Twin Cities Marathon Expo again. We haven't been there since 2019. And we're going to once again be doing a live podcast recording party on Saturday, October 1st. It's at the River Center where the expo pickup is. It's just two escalators above where you'll be picking up your bib and your shirt. And it starts at two o'clock. It'll probably run for about an hour. And Dimity and I will welcome our guest, Katie Mark of On The Mark Therapy, talking about the power of forward movement and mental fortitude. And each guest gets a free bottle of Tasty Core Power. So you can sip that while you listen to us talk and see how the sausage is made, proverbially. So please join us, RSVP, by going to anothermotherrunner.com, click on events, and then on the Twin Cities Marathon Weekend in the drop-down menu. This event is free. We have to limit it to 19, 99 people. 99 people, like the Luff Balloons. Um, so <laughs> head on over to our site and RSVP. Our podcast today was produced in St. Paul, Minnesota by Barry Medor from Fire on the the Bluff, who will be there with us at the Twin Cities live podcast party. Many happy miles. <laughs>